0: looked more at what took place about 40 days after the birth of Christ when he met Simeon and Anna. So we're going to back up. We're going to put it in rewind just a little bit. We're going to rewind 40 days and we're going to look at the actual birth of Christ or the nativity of of Jesus Christ this morning. Uh, It is, as as Jason said just a minute ago, uh, this is the last Sunday or or this is the beginning of Christmas week. So this is the first Sunday of Christmas week. This coming Saturday uh, will be the big day. And I know many of you have already, everything is already done. All of the Christmas presents are bought they are wrapped, they are nestled under the tree. All of the lists have gone off to wherever they need to be, the North Pole or wherever it needs to go, or Amazon or wherever, and you're all ready for it, right? Parents, how many, um, how many things have assembly required this year? Not a whole, whole lot. Uh, we got, we got, we got uh, some, younger, uh, some younger families in here too, uh, and uh, so you got some assembly required on that, so uh, we'll be praying for you on that, okay? Make sure you follow the directions. I have learned that lesson too many times uh, to, to follow directions on there, okay? Um, <clears throat> lots of uh, organizations, lots of businesses, uh, maybe in your family, you have special days, that mark special days of importance and celebration on the calendar. They serve as reminders of uh, of something that is important, like we always have birthdays, right? We have birthdays that we celebrate. We have anniversaries that we celebrate, although sometimes we don 't always remember them right, okay um, I say we I have not been part of that, but you know I just wanted to condescend to the lowly uh, there um, so far i 've remembered, and I better remember this year because it 's twenty, um, but uh, we have birthdays, we have anniversaries, we have you know just special things that we remember. How many of you are really romantic and you remember like every important date in your relationship? Like this is the anniversary of our first date. Let me remember that. Okay. This is the anniversary of maybe our first kiss, right? Well, it should have been on your wedding anniversary. Amen. No, Um, this is the anniversary. And some people are really romantic. Like this is the anniversary of our first date outside of the city. This is our anniversary of the first date where we wore blue. You know, it's just, they remember everything. It's very significant and important. Okay. Um, We all have important dates to us. Companies, businesses, communities, they have dates that are important to them as well. We have July 4th, 1776 in our nation that we celebrate our independence. The NFL has the Super Bowl. The retail industry has... Black Friday, right? Baseball fans have opening day, or they have game seven of the World Series, if it ever comes around, and then also around this part of the country in March, we have March Madness, right? Although, uh, un- until last night's game, we were looking like we were going to become more of a football school, weren't we? Um, but, uh, but anyway, But for the body of Christ, we have two really, really special days on our calendar. Christmas and Easter, right? That's when we celebrate the birth of Christ. And then, of course, celebrating Easter, celebrating the resurrection of Christ, celebrating the beginning of the gospel plan and celebrating the culmination of the gospel plan. Although every single page, every single jot and tittle and hyphen and comma in this word celebrates the gospel plan. It began the moment God spun creation into motion because God created us knowing that it would cost him his son. And so we come to Christmas and we see that we celebrate that because that is the mark of when Jesus became man, when God became man and came to live among us. And then we celebrate that time of Easter because that is the time when God executed his plan of redemption and executed his plan of victory. And we wait for another holy day to come when he, at his glorious appearing, his second coming one day. We don't know when it will happen but we still look forward with anticipation to it. That anticipation that we in the New Testament time look for, for the reappearing of Jesus Christ is the same kind of anticipation that Mary and Joseph and all of those who lived in the Old Testament times leading up to the birth of Christ, it's the same type of anticipation that they had waiting for the Messiah to appear for the first time. So we can understand a little bit of that anticipation, even though we live already in spiritual victory, if we know Christ is our Savior, our ultimate victory has not yet been seen, but it is as sure as though it has already happened. That's why we worship him, right? That's why he is so amazing, and that's why he is beautiful, because there is nothing left that needs to be done. He has done all the work. And all the loose ends that were waiting to be tied up, he's promised that he's going to tie them up already. And not only does he know when, but Satan also knows, the enemy also knows that it's coming. He doesn't know when it's coming, but he knows it's coming. We know our day of victory is coming, but just as much we, the enemy knows that his day of defeat is coming as well. And that is the beauty of Christmas. It reminds us that even in the darkest of moments, hope springs eternal. That's what we celebrate. The songs that we sang this morning, come and adore the King of Kings. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Oh, come, oh, come Emmanuel. That anticipation, that that almost that grief-ridden anticipation, that need, that desperation. Lord, we need you on that holy night that Christ was born. And so that's what we celebrate, that's our holy days, that's our NFL, that's our Super Bowl, that's our, that's our anniversary, that's our birthday, that's our everything all rolled up into one. And that's how we should treat it at the church, man. We should roll it out like it's the red carpet. I mentioned just a second ago that we're becoming more of a football school, it seems like, at, in the University of Kentucky. Well, this past Wednesday, and usually we didn't care about this, but this past Wednesday was National Signing Day. So if you're a football fan, uh, national Signing Day is an important day. It's when all those people who said, yeah, I'm going to come to Kentucky and play, all these big recruits, say, I'm going to come to Kentucky and I'm going to play, actually sign on the dotted line, and they're locked in to do that. And I was listening to some radio shows and some people, and they, all, they, they said they're shocked at how high of a recruiting class Kentucky has gotten this year under Coach, Scoo- under Coach, Scoops, Coach Stoops and Vince Merrill. He actually scooped them up, actually, is what he did. But anyway, that was a bad pun. Anyway, but some of the people on the radio shows were saying, man, it's like Christmas morning around here. Everybody we wanted, we got just about. And I get what they're saying. And how many times have we used that? It's like Christmas, man, around here. What we're saying is we got what we want. And it was awesome. And it was something to celebrate. But really, we are condescending Christmas because their Christmas is something that can't be compared to anything else. Christmas is not something that we can compare to anything on this world. We can't say that anything is actually like Christmas because Christmas is not just a holiday. It's not just something we put on our calendar or an event. Christmas is a time of holy remembrance. It's a time to remember our savior, to remember what happened, to be fueled again with that hope of the, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's a yearly God-given marker that reminds us that the world, that reminds the entire world that the greatest gift ever received is Jesus Christ. It's an annual reminder of the birth of the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's a repetitive call to revive the hope of the angels' announcement of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That's what Christmas is. It's not just a holiday. It's not just a family get together. It's not just a full calendar. Christmas should be and needs to be a time of holy, reverential remembrance of the power of God that was put on display 2,000 years ago. Because it was a powerful event. I get that it was simple, I get that it was a, just a, a, a beautiful story. But even if the story had played out in a way that didn't seem so beautiful, the power of the moment is what we worship. The power of the baby that was born is who we worship. So at Christmas and at Easter, we like to celebrate at church like it's bigger than Elvis, the Beatles, Bieber, the Super Bowl, the Game 7 of the World Series, all of it put together, all rolled into one. It's bigger than all of that because there's nothing more electric. There's nothing that is more filled with wonder. There's nothing that is more world-changing than the nativity and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There's nothing. And I think sometimes we get so familiar with it. We look at the, the images of the mangers, the nativity scenes. We've seen the Christmas carols that we know. We get so familiar with it that we lose the wonder that we should have. It's just like what they said. Uh, was it Tom Petty, the great philosopher of days gone by, who said, oh, baby, it's Christmas all over again right, or the Beach Boys that said Christmas comes this time each year. It almost means it's like on repeat. It just keeps on happening, and we pull out the same decorations, and we go to the same places, and we hold our traditions. Nothing wrong with that. Like I said a few weeks ago, we missed all that last year. Nothing wrong with that, but never forget the most important part of all of this. Christ has come. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse number one, and I'm going to read this morning because it's probably more familiar to us this way than it is in anything else in the King James Version of Scripture. Beginning in verse number one, we read through verse number 20. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or to be registered. It was basically like a census. And because it was the Roman government, they said, give us some money while you're being censused as well. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, or his, his betrothed wife, who was great with child, meaning she's about ready to pop. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You'd think that Joseph would have like, you know, gotten a Verbo or an Airbnb or, you know, at least called ahead to make sure there was a room, but there was nothing. Nobody's laughing at that one. Okay, I'll move on. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord was upon them And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and good will toward men and to all upon whom his favor rests. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherd said one to another, let us go now even unto Bethlehem. If you have a pen in your hand or a highlighter, I want you to underline and highlight verse number 15. This is going to be our focal point this, this morning. Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this day that we can come into your place, your house, and we can worship you. Father, I pray that this morning we would worship you as you've commanded, Lord Jesus, in spirit and in truth. I pray this morning that by our worship that you've been glorified, that as we sang those Christmas songs, those carols, as we lifted our feeble voices to you, our mighty God, that you were glorified in us and in our worship, Lord. I pray this morning that you would captivate us by this familiar story, like we're hearing it for the first time, Help us to recapture that wonder of the simplicity but significance of the Christmas story. In Jesus' precious name we pray and the church said, amen. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, The Simple Significance or the Simplistic Significance of Christmas. And we think those are two words that shouldn't really reside in the same sentence necessarily and they really shouldn't reside together. But the beauty of Christmas, the reason it's so significant, the reason it's so endearing to us a lot of times is because of the simplicity of it. So, but how many of you, when we were reading this, when we were reading this, how many of you didn't hear my voice? You just closed your eyes and you actually heard the voice of Linus from, from, uh, from Charlie Brown's Christmas. That's the way I would have preferred to have read it too uh, because Linus did so well with it. And I noticed that part. People are starting to notice now that at that one point when it says, fear not, he drops his blanket. That blanket that he carried in every other scene, isn't that amazing? Fear not that the the power and the hope of Christmas had overcome him. The truth is, is most of us know this passage better than any other passage of Scripture, and it's become almost immortally famous. And this passage of Scripture has made some very simplistic things almost immortally famous too. For instance, nobody really uses the word manger anymore right? If you're a farmer or if you're out on a farm, no one says, hey, it's time for you to go put the slop in the manger, son. They say, go put the the slop in the trough or in the feeding trough or whatever. The manger was just a feeding trough. It was something that they would put newborn sheep in to protect them, and it was something that they would feed them throughout their time as well. It was just a simple thing, but it's become a word that we use still today in our culture, and it has a very significant meaning. It was elevated from just being an animal feeding element to being the cradle of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus also elevated a simple carpenter and his virgin wife from the wrong side of the tracks in Nazareth too. We shouldn't be talking about a carpenter and his fiance 2,000 years later, but yet here we are talking about Joseph and Mary every year, pulling out little figurines of them and putting them in um, in our nativities every year not because they were special, even though the Bible says that you are favored among women, Mary, but because Jesus was special. We talk about an inn there. We don't know if it's a day's inn, a holiday inn, a holiday inn express. We don't know what it is. But it's notoriously famous for not having room for the king of kings. And we talk about a little city named Bethlehem. Bethlehem was put on the map at this moment. Bethlehem didn't belong on the map. The only thing it was known for up until that point was being a place where a lot of sheep came from and King David came out of there as well. But King David didn't do his his amazing work there in Bethlehem. He went out of Bethlehem to do his work when he killed Goliath and was in Jerusalem when he became the king and all of those things. Bethlehem was just this little podunk town in the shadow of Jerusalem about 80 to 90 miles away from where Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Didn't even belong on the map. But today, if you go over to the Holy Land, you can't say you've finished your trip unless you've gone to Bethlehem to see where they think Jesus was born. Jesus took some some insignificant things and made them very, very, very significant. And that's kind of what the idea is behind the message this morning. There is no way... that what happened and the things that were used to be the backdrop of the story of Christmas, there's no way that they qualified to be the backdrop of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But this is what God specializes in. God specializes in taking the ordinary, mundane, and also the broken and chaotic things and making them beautiful by his presence. That's what Christmas is really about to us. And while this story is very endearing, all right, we we think about it as being a beautiful story and we sing these beautiful songs and 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 everything. But think about the real story. And I've done this before, but it just it just shocks me every time I think about it. Do you think that this story was really all that endearing to Mary and Joseph? I mean, really, do you think it's very endearing? Ladies, how many of you look back at labor as being the most endearing moment of your life? Right? If you do, that if you do, if you do, that is like you had some really, really good drugs, right? But she didn't have drugs. What did she have? She had a donkey to like jostle her around to get her there. But I mean, imagine this. She comes to Joseph and she says, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, man, I don't, this is, there is no way that this should happen. Now, if you're Mary, remember this. You're getting close to nine months pregnant. Joseph comes in and he says, hey, Mary, we're going to take a trip, a baby moon, if you will. We're going to go all the way down to Bethlehem. And she's thinking, Bethlehem? Bethlehem? where? Where is that? so she googles it on her phone and stuff and she finds out that it's like 70 80 miles away and she's like Bethlehem there ain't nothing good going on in Bethlehem and she he's like well honey we live in Nazareth we know nothing good comes out of Nazareth and she's like yeah you could have taken me somewhere nicer and then he says you know what you're going to ride on the best donkey i got now the distance between Jeru- between uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem is about the distance of here to Cincinnati so ladies Nine months pregnant, imagine walking or riding a donkey all the way to Cincinnati at nine months pregnant. Imagine how endearing that really is. And then when they finally get there, her water breaks. And she's like, okay, we're just, there's no hospital here in Bethlehem. There's no Bethlehem general or anything like that. So we're just going to have to have this baby in the, in, the, in the inn. And she's like, so where are we staying, Joseph? And Joseph's like, I don't know. This marriage almost ended before it got started, right? Joseph is not like the most romantic dude in the world. He didn't bother making plans. So they have to find a barn or a stable or a cave or whatever it is. And the only place to have the baby is there around some animals. And he finds a manger and lays him in there. And we look at it and we say, oh, how cute. Mary and Joseph probably didn't think it was very cute. They probably talked about that day for quite some time. Well, Joseph, had you been a little bit more prepared... If you'd read the books that I was reading, What to Expect When You are Expecting, it would have clearly said, make sure you don't take your woman on a trip, walking for 90 miles, and then not have a place for her to have that baby. What not a very endearing story. And we have to be thinking too, just like Mary. Mary had to have been thinking, and I love what verse number 19 says. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I wonder what that really means. She kept all, the, and shepherds show up. Nasty, stinking shepherds with flies all around them. And it says, and Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I wonder what that's really telling us, what Mary was pondering. I'm just teasing, of course. But think about that. So Mary's probably thinking there's no way this is really God's plan. Did God forget is, you know, what's going on? This can't be the way that God planned for his son to enter the world, but it absolutely was his plan. This is exactly the way God had won it. For centuries, he had been organizing and making all of these things happening happened. The arrival of the Messiah had been centuries in the making. He'd been planning, plotting, prophesying, and at this moment would come when it did, the way it did, on the night that it did, and how it did. So why Bethlehem? What's so special about Bethlehem? And that's what I want to look at this morning. And I realize I spent a lot of time on the introduction, so we're going to move through the points really, really quick. The fact that God chose Bethlehem speaks volumes to us about his nature, not only toward the world when they needed Christ, but also his nature towards us who still need Christ in it as well. We are our own little personal Bethlehems, if you will. Every one of us resemble Bethlehem. Every one of us are that lowly, broken down kind of story, that that chaotic, our lives are that chaotic story where it just doesn't seem to make sense until Jesus is involved. So Bethlehem, the reason Bethlehem, God chose it, is number one, because Bethlehem is a place that is often overlooked for its potential. Bethlehem is often overlooked for its potential. Of all the places that this long-awaited Messiah could be born, God chose this sleepy little village outside on the outskirts of Jerusalem that nobody went to. The only people in Bethlehem were the people that lived in Bethlehem. They had like one stoplight and it blinked. Okay, that's all they had. It was tiny, right? Today, many people go to Bethlehem. Everyone that takes pilgrimage over to the Holy Land goes to Bethlehem because they want to be at the place where it all got started, where Jesus arrived as a baby. All the way before that, hundreds of years before that, a prophet named Micah, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, said this about Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. So not only could the people see that the city limits were small, Micah, the prophet, the voice of God, speaking God's words to the people said, Bethlehem, you're tiny. I mean, God is just pulling it out, man. He's like, Bethlehem, you ain't got much to offer. You just ain't got much to offer. It was small among the small tribe of Judah, making sure that we still understand that Bethlehem was a place that was not very significant to most people. It didn't pass the muster test with the human eye. Oh, but God had different eyes on Bethlehem. So you'd expect the Jews, the king of the Jews, to be born in the capital city of Jerusalem, or at least in one of the more prominent towns, but it's God's nature to dwell among the lowly. This is what Bethlehem teaches us. It's God's nature to make his home among the lowly. And aren't you thankful for that? Because none of us are of royal blood. None of us are high and mighty. None of us are, if we say we're worth a whole lot, you may be rich in money and things like that, but we're all lowly when it comes to being compared to God. And here's the thing, God dwells among the lowly. And when God dwells among the lowly, he lifts the lowly up. When God dwells among the lowly, he lifts the lowly up. See, look at the rest of the words of Micah to see how God prophesied. Yes, you're small, but there is such potential in you. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity. His origin is from ancient times. Many people thought Micah was just talking about what God did with David. But he said his origin is from antiquity, meaning his origin is eternal. He has always been and always will be. And he is from ancient times. And so then they knew it's not talking about David coming from Bethlehem. There will be another king. It will be a king of all kings. It will be the Messiah. So they had known. That, the, that Bethlehem was going to bring the Messiah. And this shows just how confused and just how distracted the world had become for 400 years of silence from God. No one was paying attention to Bethlehem anymore. Bethlehem had not become the city of promise like the Bible said it would. No one had paid attention. People forgot God's promise. But God still chose to dwell among the lowly. Most people in the world can't tell you much about ancient Jew, Jewish geography. If I were to pull a map out and said, all right, tell me where all the towns are, you'd probably have to have a Bible degree or a seminary degree or use the, you know, the maps in the back of your Bible to go ahead and put the towns on the map. But people know about Bethlehem. People know about Jerusalem. They probably couldn't tell you many more cities or many more towns that existed back then, but they can tell you about those two. See, the fact that God chose small, insignificant Bethlehem as the place where his one and only son would be born serves to comfort us. Because you may be sitting there right now or you may be watching right now and thinking, my life, there ain't nothing going on in it. Or you may be thinking, what's going on in my life right now definitely isn't something good. There wasn't much good going on in Bethlehem at that point. Everybody was there in Bethlehem. It was crowded that time because they were under Roman rule and they were forced to go back to be censused. There wasn't anything good going on there either. And then God came. God came to dwell among the lowly. And God looks at you and me today, and he doesn't see us for who we are, but for who he will make us to be. Remember, when God dwells among the lowly, he lifts the lowly up to him. This is one of the messages of Bethlehem, is that God can use anyone regardless of their significance or lack of it. Matter of fact, it's the least significant people that God often uses to do the most things because we've already cleared ourself out self. God wants to use an empty vessel so he can fill us all up with him so that we can overflow him to the world around us. See, Scripture is very clear that not only are we insignificant in the grand scheme of power and might, but to him, we are a people of great potential. We are a people that are of great worth to God. We have so much potential and so much value and so much worth that he said, I'll give you my son to redeem you, even when we walked away in rebellion that little speck of significance that we did have, we turned our back on God and said, we don't want you. We don't want your law. We don't want your ways. We don't want to walk with you. We want that fruit so we can be like you. And then God said, the only way to redeem that is to send my son. And he chose to do so because he saw potential in us that no one else ever will. Just like he saw that potential in Bethlehem. See, God didn't come to Caesar Augustus's palace to be born. He didn't come to be Herod's To be Herod's advisor, he didn't come to sit in Herod's court, but very quietly, almost undercover in the dark of night, he arrived in a seemingly insignificant little podunk town. And in your life right now, it may not seem like God's doing much, but he is working. The question is, will you see it? The question is, will you let him work? See, Bethlehem is a place of overlooked potential, but it's also a place of unusual providence, we often overlook the potential of the little thing, but it's God that works in the midst of those lowly things. But Bethlehem is a place of unusual providence as well. See, centuries before Christ was born, God foretold through the prophets that the Messiah would come. You look through the book of Psalms, you see the Messianic Psalms, you look in the book of Isaiah, you look in Daniel, you look in Micah, you look in all of these Old Testament prophets. They came not only to tell people what God wanted of the people now, but they also came to tell people the promises that God had for them still to come. And when they proclaimed the promises, they proclaimed the promises of the Messiah. They proclaimed so many promises and put them on so many scrolls that some of them made them all over into this far eastern country where three magi were living in a godless pagan land. And as they read those, they became so enraptured with the promises and the hope and the spirit of the promise of the Messiah that they left everything they had and they traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles for months on end to reach the child that had been born. Because God put one star in the sky. What caused them to go? The word of God and the hand of God moving the world. And what they do, the Bible, we'll look at this a little bit more next week. But what they do, when they arrived, they went to Jerusalem and they went to the palace. They went to the seat of power expecting that if this is a king that's going to be born, that's going to free the world, he's going to be born in a palace. And they find out that he wasn't. And they go up to Herod and they say, hey, where's the king? And Herod's like, dude, I'm the king. Ain't no king but Herod, other than Caesar, but he lets me be king here. <laughs> so he's not really king, right? And he said, no, we've come because we read this prophecy that the Messiah would be born and all of the stuff. And Herod is like, no, that's, that doesn't sound like anything has happened here. And so Herod pulls his chief priests and his advisors over and his scribes and all those people that still believe the Bible, even though God had been silent for 400 years. And he said, what are these guys talking about? What are these rich, powerful guys talking about? Who are they looking for? And so they immediately say, because they remember what Micah said, and they remembered what the prophets said, and they remember all these things, and they said, well, the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem, but I mean, Bethlehem? That's kind of weird. And it doesn't seem to make any sense that Joseph and Mary, who lived in Nazareth, would be born, uh, would have the baby in Bethlehem either. But because the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, who wasn't even a Jew, had ordered a census, everyone had to go back to their homeland. And because Joseph, who wasn't even Jesus' dad by blood, takes Mary, his fiancee, back because he's of the house and lineage of David. So he has to go back to Bethlehem to register. And it doesn't make any sense for wise men to leave everything that they had, all the power that they had, to go find a king that's not even from a religion that they practiced up to that point. It doesn't make f- sense for them to do that, but they did it all. Why? Because God wrote the prophecy that the king would be born in Bethlehem. God put a star in the sky that got the magi there. And God put a census in Augustus' heart that got Mary and Joseph where they needed to be for this to happen. This birth was one of unusual providence. Bethlehem is a place of unusual providence. Why Bethlehem? Because God said it should be Bethlehem. And why you and me? Because God said it should be you and me. Why did he save us? Not because we had anything to offer, but because he wants us. Why are you sitting right here watching or listening to this message? Because God cares enough about you to hear the gospel. Why? Because God aligns the world through his sovereign might and power so that all may come to repentance in him. He's not going to force you, but he is going to do everything he can to call on you. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse number 17. God has power, and this is his power. The word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command of the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human ones. This is so that the living will know that God, the most high, is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants, and he sets the lowliest people over them. It's telling us, doesn't matter how strong the kings or the presidents or the queens or the dictators are, God is stronger, and God is in control, and God is sovereign. You know what I get from that is the Church of Jesus Christ in 2021? Stop worrying so much. Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, tells us that there's no throne room, there's no board room where God is not active and he's not moving. He says, a king's heart is like a channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. God is sovereign. God is in control. God was showing his sovereign power on this holy night that Jesus was born. He moved heaven and earth and people on it to get them where they needed it to be. And right now, through the gospel, through the preaching of his word, through God working in your life, he is calling out to you, moving you where you need to be to get you to that place of Bethlehem where Christ can shine through the backdrop of your life. See, God's ways don't always make sense, but it's plans and his ways are perfect. And I know what many people think sometimes. If God is so loving, if God is working such a perfect plan, why does my life look like so much hell? It's in that hell that God shines through. I want to encourage you, don't quit, don't give up. Don't let, don't let the chaos bring you down. Look up above, look to Jesus, because his ways may not always make sense, but his plans are perfect and he can be trusted and understand this. The final chapter has yet to be written. Like a story or book whose plot, you know these stories or or books that you read that it makes no sense until you get to that final chapter and it finally makes sense? The book of Revelation makes no sense, but it will wrap everything up for us. Okay? God wins in the end, and if we're with God, we win with him. See, many things in our lives appear to be chaotic, inconvenient, painful. No one, none of us would have chosen covid two years ago. None of us would choose for that loved one to die. None of us would choose, I want that cancer. But here's what God chose. In the midst of all of that, I choose to be by your side. I choose to be that rock that you can lean on. See, so does your life seem to be a chaotic mess that doesn't make any sense? This may be God working through all of this, putting a star in the sky, moving you where you need to be to get to that place of Bethlehem where the Christ child can be born in your heart. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and all who are worn out and all who are burdened and broken and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. In the midst of all of that, just come to me. See, I'm convinced that God chose Christmas to play out like it did for these very words to have so much power. Because if Jesus had been born in a, if Jesus had uttered those words and everybody said, yeah, but weren't you born in the palace with a silver spoon in your mouth? You don't understand where we're coming from. But Jesus was born the son of a carpenter from Nazareth, laid in a manger. They didn't have room for him to be born. Everybody can approach that. Bethlehem is a place of unique providence. But then also, Bethlehem is a place of undeserved privilege. And this is where we'll end today. Look at verse number 11 of our text. Today, in the city of David, which we know as Bethlehem, was born for you... He's the Messiah, the Lord. And then verses 15 and 16 says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened. We don't know how far away the shepherds were. We really don't. We believe maybe they were up on a hill somewhere in Bethlehem, but they are far out from wherever they need to be because they say, Let's go now even unto Bethlehem. So we really don't know. We believe it was on that very same night because it says today a child has been born to you. So they get there. And it says, they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Think about this. Of all the places in the world that God could have chosen to have Jesus be born, he chose Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a privileged place. Now, you could walk through the streets of Bethlehem and think, this isn't a very affluent city. This isn't even a city. This barely qualifies as a town. God chose for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to show up there. What a privilege to be handpicked, to be the cradle of the Son of God, to be immortalized, to be the place where peace and hope arrived. And what a privilege to be remembered forever as the birthplace of Christ. There's more tourism that goes into Bethlehem many times from the from around the world that goes into like Orlando, Florida in the year. Why not Jerusalem? Why not? Why, why did God? choose Jerusalem, the place of religious power and religious significance? Or why not Rome, the place of political power and military power and significance at that time? Or why not Athens, which was the place of intellectual power and significance? And I believe it's for this reason alone. Because the hope of this world is not found in politics, or armies, or education, or philosophy. It's not found even in religion. It's found in Jesus. God chose a place that had nothing to offer because he was offering all we needed in Jesus. Bethlehem is a place of tremendous privilege because it had nothing else to offer but Jesus. See, if Jesus had been born in any one of those other cities of power, his birth may have kind of faded off into the distance. But because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was nothing else going on. It was like they rolled out a red carpet for Jesus to come because it's the perfect backdrop for the Savior to be seen in all of his glory. See, it's the simplicity of Bethlehem and the stable and the manger that allows Jesus to really shine through. See, Jesus is not famous or significant because of Joseph or Mary or for a manger. All of those things are significant because of Jesus. You know what that tells me? We spend a lot of our lives doing all we can to try to make ourselves significant to people. But the most significant we'll ever be is just by being Jesus. The most impact we'll ever make is just by being Jesus to people. We have amazing opportunities right now at this time of year to do that, especially in Kentucky. What happened in western Kentucky last week is a tragedy. You can have a significant impact. And they say, well, I don't have a lot of ability to go down there and help pick up garbage. No, but you can give to the efforts that do that. You can pray for them. You can pick up a phone and call someone if you know them. You can do a lot of things to raise awareness for the needs, for those who are hungry, for those who are poor, for those who are broken. Right now, we're giving as well in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Money you give will go around the world to people you may never even be able to meet, but maybe in heaven you'll meet them because you gave. This is what we're told to do. This is significance in our life. And a lot of people think significance comes from having the biggest degree on their wall or having the highest title at their company or keep moving up that corporate ladder or have the bigger house. That's great. You may have some significance and you may feel really good about yourself as you do that. But that significance dies with you. It really does. Significance comes from being a humble backdrop for Jesus to shine through, just like Bethlehem. That's the question. This is why I'm convinced that we'll never be satisfied truly in life until we just let Jesus shine through. We drop us, and we let Jesus just do what he wants with us. A lot of times I think that we spend most of our life fighting that. Here's what Colossians 1.7 says. God wants to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus shone through Bethlehem because Bethlehem had nothing much to offer. Jesus wants to shine through us, but we got to let go of all the things that we think are so amazing about us and just let Jesus shine. When Christ shines through the backdrop of your life, the world will see hope in Jesus Christ. This is why many people are having problems with the church. This is why many people don't know if Christianity is necessarily true because I think we've gotten more about, I want people to see me and I want people to see us rather than seeing Jesus. The backdrop of our life needs to be simple so that God can shine through. But here's the deal as we close out this morning. See, the birth of Christ will mean little or nothing to us if he's not first born in our hearts. There's so a lot of people today who say, yeah, I like Christmas. It's fun. It's, it's good. It's a good time. And I like the story of Christmas too, but it hasn't done anything to their life. Is that you? Have you trusted Christ as your savior? Has he made a difference in your life? Are you trusting in him to be your king? If you haven't done that, today's the day because the birth of Christ will mean nothing if he's not first born in our hearts. Is Christ being formed in you? This morning we're going to observe communion. And communion comes from around the Easter time. But Christmas is the time where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and the preparation of what would take place during the crucifixion and the resurrection. We never have communion what time we don't ask you to kind of just look inside of yourself and say, okay, where do I stand with you, God? Is there sin in my heart? Is there sin in my life that's kind of that I'm just holding on to. So I'll tell you, sin separates, sin kills. But for those who are, of us who are saved, sin can't have that. Wages of sin has been paid, but sin can still separate us a lot of times from God and make us feel distant. As we get ready to receive these elements, we have a time of invitation and reflection. I've asked my wife Stacy to come and sing a song. When we opened with "O Come, All You Faithful," there's a song that I heard earlier this year. I guess it's a beautiful song. "O Come, All You Unfaithful." come all you unfaithful, because Jesus came for the faithful, but he also came for the unfaithful. So we put ourselves in kind of an attitude of prayer this morning. The altars are open. If you need to come today, if you need to reflect before we receive communion this morning, would you please do that?
1: taste of his perfect love oh come guilty and hiding ones there is no is born.
0: Christ is born for us that's why he came he was born for us and all of the simplistic things of the Christmas story where he was born how he was born all of that reminds us that there is no one so low that Christ will not reach because when we see the holiness of God and we consider the holiness of God it's very easy to be reminded by the enemy man you don't match up you don't measure up. (laughs) But God said, you don't have to measure up. I will lift you up. He gets involved in our lowliness and he elevates the lowly we're going to turn our attention this morning and end our Christmas service. And you may have seen in your bulletin, but unfortunately due to some scheduling difficulties and some planning difficulties, we had to make the tough decision to cancel tonight's uh, Christmas worship event. And so we apologize for any inconvenience that may cause. That's why this morning's uh, service was planned with a little bit more music and a little bit more, uh, a little bit more umph, if you would. Um, and, um, but I think that this is kind of one of the, the best ways probably to kind of end our time together before Christmas is observing the Lord's table. It's a very significant thing. And, and again, something very simple, a wafer and grape juice and, um, that reminds us of the blood and the body of Christ that is so significant to us as well. So this morning, as we get ready to receive communion, as always, before we do that, um, it is an ordinance of the church. There's two, two ordinances that we, as a church, practice that we were given by our Savior. He modeled them to us when he was here. One is baptism. Baptism takes place after we decide to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, after we get saved. And then after that, we are baptized, and the water doesn't save us. It's the picture of the death the burial and the resurrection of Christ it identifies us with him it's an act of obedience to him communion is an act of remembrance to him and Jesus told us and he gave us the understanding of what it all means the wafer there is unleavened bread that reminds us of the perfect sinless body of Jesus Christ that was broken for our good just like Stacy saying he's the lamb who was given slain for our pardon So that his promise could be peace. The grape juice that we partake of is, um, reminds us of his blood that was shed for our sins to be covered. And so this morning we will do this together um, as a family of God. Um, If you are a member of this church, um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we invite you to partake uh, with us this morning. We practice close communion. I will say one word of refrain that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not yet been saved, then we don't suggest that you partake of that because we believe it is someone for, something for those who have decided to be the disciples of Christ to remember his sacrifice for our sins, okay? This comes straight from Scripture in a couple of different places, but I do want to read it from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian believers, um, and uh, it's a testament of what Jesus uh, did that night, the last supper here. He says, I received of the Lord in verse number 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I received the Lord, that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So if you could open your way for there, I ask if you would, would you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time of the season, Lord. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, you came. You wrapped yourself in our flesh. Because you were God, you are nothing like us, but you lowered yourself. You condescended to the meek and to the lowly so that you could lift us up to you. And as you wrap that flesh around you at Christmas, knowing that that flesh would be beaten and bruised and cut open, And have nails driven through it. And a crown of thorns shoved through it. You knew that that was the price of our freedom. You knew that was the price of our forgiveness. And Lord God, we sit here before you as a grateful people. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thankful that you came so that we could have eternal life. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. May partake of the element. In verse number 25, it says, After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, just like your body was offered as a sacrifice to us, Lord. We know that it was the blood that spilled from that unblemished body, that sinless body, that sinless blood that covers our sins. Lord, we know and declare that we are sinners, we are broken, that we live in darkness because of our sin. And Lord Jesus, it is your blood that was shed so that our sins could be covered and could be forgiven, to be washed away. And Lord God, we thank you for that, for without it, we would have no hope. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and that you spilled your blood to be our once and for all eternal sacrifice, that blood offering for us. Help us to remember that and remember just how significant you have made us through redeeming us by your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may partake of the element. I encourage you this Christmas season to remember not only the, the baby in the manger, but remember the Savior on the cross. And also remember the conquering Messiah outside the tomb, because that's what it's all about. And um, I pray that this will help us to remember um, just what we celebrate this coming Saturday. All right. Would you stand with me and we're going to be dismissed in the way that the disciples were dismissed from the original. Uh, communion service. They sang a hymn, and uh, we're going to sing a hymn this morning. And because it's Christmas time, normally we sing victory in Jesus, but this morning we're going to end by singing joy to the world. Everybody knows that one, right? Everybody knows that one pretty well, okay? We're going to end by doing that again know this, from the bottom of my heart, um, as your pastor, I pray that you have a wonderful and beautiful Christmas. Uh, for some of you, uh, for some of you at home as well, you're celebrating first Christmases with uh, with kiddos. Uh, you're getting back together with people that you maybe didn't get to see last year. I hope you enjoy all of that. Just remember that as Jesus is, we are his light to this world as well, okay? So let's sing this, Joy to the World. I'm gonna try to start in the right key, okay? If I don't,
2: just forgive me, all right? Let's sing. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world. He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love now go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. I know it was a little cheesy, but go tell it on the mountain. All right.
0: God bless you. We love you. Have a very Merry Christmas. All right. God bless. There are trash cans at your exit doors as you need to dispose of your communion articles.